Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. A lot going on today. Is America facing the doom loop of democracy? Some democracies fall apart because of invasion by a neighbor or terrorism or a natural disaster, but most are actually taken down by their own greedy oligarchs internally. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Also, the unthinkable is happening as scientists are shocked by polar temperatures soaring 90 degrees above normal. I'll tell you about that. And Finland confronts, or at least a Finnish citizen, confronts America for its role in Putin's invasion. It's a fascinating story. Also, I want to dig into this story about The Hague bringing Vladimir Putin to account for his war crimes. The International Criminal Court, as we speak, is in Ukraine gathering proof of war crimes. But Gordon Brown in the UK is calling for a Nuremberg-style trial. And I'll tell you about all the details on that and how it works. So a lot of topics. No guests today. It's you and me, and uh, you know we can we can discuss every single one of these issues. I want to start out with this doom loop of democracies, though. This is, you know, this is more history and background, but it's really vitally important stuff that most Americans have no idea about that is literally happening right in front of us as we're speaking, and that and that this is the main way that democracies get taken down. This is, this is how democracies are destroyed. And it's, uh, by, it's done by something that we don't really have a word for right now. I mean, we do have the word, but we haven't really used it in 150 years or so. Um, back during the founding generation in the 1700s, uh, this was called faction. And a faction is a group that not only has its own interest. I mean, today we talk about special interest groups. You know, arguably they're factions. But the, the specific meaning of the word faction in the 18th century was a group whose interests are opposed, are different from, are in opposition to the interests of the vast majority of the public or the nation itself. Today, you might want to call them, what, traitors? I, or at least traitors to democracy? Uh, and, you know, it was a faction of oligarchs led by Vladimir Putin back in 99-2000 in, uh, that took over Russia 
after Russia adopted Milton Friedman's neoliberal policies of privatization, low taxes, and deregulation, which led straight to his terrible decisions in Ukraine. So where does this start? It always starts, always, with a faction of wealthy people corrupting politics in country after country over centuries, literally over centuries. Faction always leads to this doom loop of democracy. Aristotle warned about it. Bernie Sanders warns about it. Uh, you know, FDR called the faction of his day the economic royalists. Uh, here's how the, the doom loop goes. Number one, just to understand, government, in order to, to protect itself and, to, and protect the people that it represents, representative government, does uh, two things that prevent the doom loop from happening the doom loop of faction. The first is they regulate taxes on the very, very rich in corporations so that you don't have an aristocracy, an oligarchy emerge, so that you don't have an eruption of billionaires. Before Ronald Reagan, there wasn't a single billionaire in America. Now we've got, what, 700 of them? And they're getting very politically active, and they can wipe out pretty much anybody's efforts and, you know, to do anything. So number one, governments keep taxes high. To, to prevent uh, you know, an aristocracy from emerging in a nation. And number two, uh, they regulate money in politics so that the government itself can't be corrupted. So the second step in the doom loop is that the corporations and individuals who basically own and control the marketplace uh, de decide that they're going to throw off the shackles of government. So they get together and pour money into politics enough to buy all the politicians and judges that they need. Then their wholly owned politicians and judges go out and weaken, you know, lower taxes on themselves and weaken the laws that protect the democracy from the influence of big money. And then, of course, what happens is that as the country spirals down into aristocracy and oligarchy, the middle class gets wiped out, the rich get massively richer, and they recycle part of that new money back to the politicians who, kept, who made them that way so that those politicians and judges will keep them that way. We're seeing this on the Supreme Court. You're seeing this writ large in the Senate. You see it across the Republican Party and even a few Democrats in the House of Representatives. And by the way, this analysis that I just laid out to you, this is not some radical position from a, from a left-wing talk show host. This, this is an analysis. Well, first of all, Pre President Jimmy Carter uh, explained this to me on the radio, so on this show, seven years ago, when he said that, um, when he's, uh, here, I've got the, the quote from him. Uh, let me find it for you. He said, it violates the essence, we were talking about Citizens United, he says, it violates the essence of what made America a great country and its political system. Now it's just an oligarchy with unlimited political bribery being the essence of getting the nominations for president or to elect the president. So now we've seen a complete subversion of our political system as a payoff to major contributors who want and expect and sometimes get favors for themselves after the election's over. So that was Jimmy Carter, but you know, we, we can go way, way back before, before Jimmy Carter. And th this is something that was warned, we, we were warned about by, uh, well, uh, James Madison is probably the most famous Federalist Number 10. I'll get to that in a second. Well, in fact, in, in Federalist Number 10, what, what Madison, I defined the term. He said, by, f by a faction, I understand a number of citizens who are united and actuated by some common impulse of passion or of interest, adverse 
that, that uh, word we don't hear much these days, but it means opposed, uh, adverse to the rights of other citizens or to the permanent and aggregate, aggregate interests of the community. So that was in 1787 that that was published the Feder in, the, in, the Feder in number 10, the Federalist number 10, that, uh, that Madison came out and said that. And he said that uh, to secure the public good and private rights against the danger of such a faction, he was talking about why they wrote the Constitution. And at the same time, to preserve the spirit in the form of popular government is then the great object to which our inquiries are directed. But it really started, you know, it was published, this, this was published by Lord Bolingbroke the year that James Madison was born. Lord Bolingbroke died in 1751, Madison was born in 1752, and that was the year that Bolingbroke's book was published. And, and he just laid it out. He said, a party, as I take it, is a set of men connected together with the same opinion with respect to public concerns. But when it proceeds further and influences men's conduct in any considerable degree, it becomes faction. So what are the factions? Well, Bolingbroke, again, this is 1751, a British philosopher. He says, in all, and politician, he says, in all such cases, there are reasons and motive. By revealed reasons, I mean a set of plausible doctrines, which may be called the creed of the party. But the reserve motive belongs to faction only, and it is the thirst of power. This was the warning in 1751. Beware of the thirst of power. Bolingbroke wasn't the only one. As I mentioned, James Madison wrote about it in Federalist 10. Even David Hume, who uh, was a conservative historian, he wrote the history of England, one of the most famous books in, in all of history, uh, or all of Western history, certainly all of British history. But in an essay that he wrote in 1741 titled, Of Parties in General, again, before the founders were born, he wrote, as much as legislators and founders of states ought to be honored and respected among men, as much ought the founders of sects and factions to be detested and hated, because the influence of faction is directly contrary to that of laws. Now, what did he mean by contrary to that of laws? Here's what he said in the next paragraph. This is David Hume, 1741. Factions subvert government, render laws impotent, and beget the fiercest animosities among men of the same nation who ought to give mutual assistance and protection to each other. So here we are. We have factions, in other words, wealthy, you know, right-wing billionaires and, and giant corporations that have taken over the Republican Party and now are openly funding Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. Openly. Political did a, Politico did a great story on this. There's a link to it in my article today over at HartmanReport.com. Openly funding these guys, bragging about it, proud of it. And apparently Manchin and Cinema are proud of the fact that they now have billionaires pouring money into their campaign coffers. And here we go, right? We're off to the races. How, how, how rapidly can America decline? We have reached the point now where legislation, this, see, 40 years ago, before Reagan, A, there were no billionaires, and B, Congress was routinely passing legislation that everybody loved. You know, look at the consumer, uh, or excuse me, look at Medicare, 1965. You know, the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, all of this legislation was passed because the majority of people want it. Now, today, you've got legislation that the majority of people desperately want Congress to pass. 
The majority of people in America very much want, for example, free education, free college education or trade schools, um, low-cost health care or free health care, as it were, among other things. But they're not happening, and they're not happening because of faction. This, this is something we really have to challenge. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And you know what raised up that faction most powerfully? The U.S. Supreme Court with their Citizens United decision. That was the beginning of the end. Rachel in Prague in the Czech Republic. Hey, Rachel, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi. Wow, that was quick. Uh, Hi, just saying hello from Prague and safe. And my ability to say that in Czech is escaping me. It is not an easy language. Um, But I actually just wanted to call in and say a a few words about uh, Jimmy Hill, the the American who was killed last week in a a missile strike at Chernikov in the the northeast of Ukraine. I I think he's gotten a little attention in the press, but uh, not a whole lot so far. Um, Go for it. I mean, I, I didn't know him super well. We met maybe a handful of times in um, professional slash professional social environments. And, well, I'll put it mildly, he marched to a beat of his own drum in a, in a major way. But, you know, I never doubted his sincerity and just drive to do good in the world. Why was this American I mean, living in Ukraine? Well, actually, he'd been, I was actually going to say, uh, he'd been there for several years, uh, um, work uh, primarily teaching uh, and kind of doing as like um, guest lecturing in different mm-hmm. uh, universities. Did he have a Ukrainian he, partner? Was that part yes? Of this? Actually, yeah. that was the thing. I didn't realize he uh, left for a while I, during uh, during the pandemic. It, mm-hmm. it was I lost track of a lot of people. Um, but yeah, his partner had uh, had has I don't know. I think she's still alive. MS, and he mm-hmm. came back. This winter, I believed, uh, help her, and they went to a, a specialized clinic for that in Tunisia City. Um, at first, I was assuming that it was the hospital itself was that was bombed because that's happened a lot. But I guess it was actually him just and pe- and other people going out on a supply run that were just shelled down, basically. It's pretty surreal. Oh, was, was he one of the people who was standing in that bread line? The eight people who were killed. I think so. Yeah. I, I again, putting two and two together is all a little surreal. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Again, we were never super close, but uh, from what I know about him and you know his politics and just general ethos and philosophy of life, I thought you know I really you know I wouldn't be surprised if he'd uh, listened to your show at times hmm. in the past. So I, I figured I would I would share that with you. I yeah. don't know. I guess for me, this is just going to be the first of many people I'm going to be mourning, but uh, I suspect. I guess also. You're living in the Czech Republic. You're in Prague right now, I am at the moment. Uh, Rachel. Yeah. How are the Czech people dealing with this? Uh, I mean, it's, I was, well, staying with my, my friend in the suburb until today, really, and I felt like I was not connecting with Ukrainians at all, and I've just relocated for a few days, and people are speaking Russian and Ukrainian all around me now. Um, mm. How are people dealing with it for now? Well, I mean... Are they worried that I Russia might come after che- after the Czech Republic next? Well, they'll have to get through Poland, please. Come on. <laughs> I know. I'd say no. People aren't... People are level-headed in their own way, and but it's not about that. It's more just about the anxiety over over stressed resources, yeah. basically, which and the fear of 
right wing well the fear of right wing populists taking advantage of that yeah yeah that's that's a problem all over the world yeah. rachel thank you for, the for call. taking my call yeah it's great talking with you thank you very much i want to get into this uh, the whole the unthinkable polar temperatures and finland and putin and uh, and poland and single-payer health care we'll cover all that in the in the next five minutes and then i'll pick up your phone calls Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. A couple of things I want to point out to you. Number one, have you been catching these news reports from Poland? Every television network seems to have a reporter in Poland, and they're, and they're talking about the refugees who are coming in from Ukraine. And I've heard this now four, at least four times from several different networks where the reporter says, and they come in here and the, and the Czech officials meet them and they give them a, a, a legal pass for the next 18 months to stay in the country, and they give them a social security number so they can get health care. It's that simple. You get a social security number, you've got health care. Poland has Medicare for all, and we don't. Seriously? Okay, number one, just keep an eye out on that. You'll start, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll hear this. Uh, number two, scientists express shock and alarm this weekend amid extremely high temperatures on both poles. Now this should never happen, right? The North Pole right now is going into summer. The South Pole right now is going into winter. They're completely different seasons. And yet the temperatures in the South Pole right now are 90 degrees higher than they should be. And the temperatures in the North Pole right now are 50 degrees higher than they should be. The scientists thought they had it figured out what would happen when we hit, you know, the, the, the levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that we have right now. And they're just back to the drawing board. 
I mean, this is uh, Stefano De Battista, an Antarctic climatologist, tweeted that this is unthinkable, it's impossible. He said Antarctic climatology has been rewritten. Jonathan Wiley, a, a researcher in France, said this is when temperatures should be falling since the summer solstice in December. He said this is a Pacific Northwest 2021 heat wave kind of event. This is what happened here in Portland when we have 116 degree temperatures for three days. Walt Meir of the National Snow and Ice Data Center in Boulder says you don't see the North Poles and South Poles both melting at the same time because they're opposite seasons. This should not be happening. And of course, the poles define the jet stream, the weather, the circular weather pattern that separates the poles from the mid-latitudes, both in North and South. They define this, and the jet stream defines all our weather patterns. So get ready for really crazy weather coming. I gotta tell you about this note from Finland. It's rather sobering. Stick around, we'll be right back. It's the Tom Hartman Program, the true people's media. Okay, one last thing here, and then picking up your phone calls. Your thoughts also on, you know, what's going on with uh, Russia and Putin. How do you think this thing is going to play out? I mean, again, the, the whole issue of oligarchy in the United States, I think, ties into the whole issue of oligarchy in Russia. And in some ways, you know, this tragedy in Ukraine, this, this mass death, this horrific genocidal crime may be one of the things that provokes democracies around the world to reconsider going down the road that Russia went down in 19, you know, between 1994 and, and 1999, when the United States sent Milton Friedman over there and the Clinton administration and then uh, the Bush administration early on in the 2000s strongly encouraged Russia to adopt neoliberalism, Reaganism, trickle-down economics, supply-side economics to privatize government functions right across the board, put everything in the hands of oligarchs, which is now why, you know, the oligarchs are supplying the military, and of course they're, <laughs> they're skimming so much off the top it doesn't work. But, you know, how is this going to play out? How, how might this change the consequences for Russia? You know, the, the form of government. I mean, is it possible that Russia could see something like the Maidan re revolution in Ukraine where people just rise up and, and, and say no? The Orange Revolution, the, the, you know, there are news reports out right now that the number one thing that Putin fears is a so-called color revolution within Russia. And he's doing everything he can to clamp down and stop that. And, you know, we get reports that people in Russia are standing up and they are speaking out. They do want to be heard and all this. But at the same time, you know, again, I would remind you how many years it took Americans to figure out that we'd been lied into the Vietnam War. Now, how many years it took for Americans to figure out that we'd been lied into the Iraq War and that both were basically the same kinds of massive, awful uh, destruction and, and death and, and uh, arguably genocide that we're seeing right now happening in Ukraine. But this, is, this was interesting. Uh, Josh Marshall's publication is Talking Points Memo. And over on TPM, a, a Finnish member of TPM really took the United States to task uh, Dardigan writes about it over at Daily Kos, but you can all, you know, go to the source, Talking Points Memo. Um, he writes that uh, this is what this Finnish person was saying and Josh Marshall was highlighting. Uh, he was talking about Russia's goal. Why are we seeing Russian trolls in American social media? Why was Russia supporting Donald Trump? 
And he says, you had to be weakened. And Britain manipulated with Brexit in order to facilitate invasions of Ukraine, uh, Belarusia, and a list of other neighboring pieces of land on, on Putin's future menu. He says, so as a KGB officer, you would plan that they would come from exactly the opposite direction where they were expected. They professionally built and operate. Now, this is, this is, keep in mind, this is a European observer of America writing about what Russia did. And I think it's spot on. Listen to this carefully. They, he's talking about, you know, the Russian intelligence services. They professionally built an operational web among the rural redneck cowboys, evangelical Christians, the NRA, the most Republican of all Republicans, among your law enforcement, uh, some military people, and big business. Their long dive was planned before the, before the start of the Kremlin's operation. Had Trump succeeded to stay in power, he writes, the march of Putin to various targets in Eastern Europe would have been more like an easy summer parade. NATO would be partially paralyzed by his loyal friends in the White House, who would likely have gotten their personal share of the profits. And then he notes that, by the way, America, the world is still noticing that you have not held Donald Trump to account for reaching out to Russia for help in getting himself elected. He says, so if you really want to do something for Ukraine, please do your own homework. Show to both your home audience and to the rest of the world that the western flank of Putin's army, this would be Trump and the Republicans who are, you know, the Trump-humper Republicans, is kept accountable. Just effing enforce your old existing laws to ultra-rich, influential white dudes as well. So a guy in Finland looking at America goes, hey, faction has taken over your country, a faction aligned with Vladimir Putin. It's amazing. Okay, picking up your phone calls here. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom. So it was interesting that you were reading, of course, Federalist 10 and Madison mentioning factions. And then I really liked the part that you were reading from David Hume. who said that factions will subvert government. And that coming from David Hume, David Hume was an empiricist. Oh, I know. He didn't, Excuse he me, didn't believe in, yeah, he didn't believe in causation philosophically. But he did there. He, he made that clear connection that factions will subvert government. And our factions are rewriting our Constitution, and de facto, with their test cases in the Supreme Court. And That's these right. are agendas that they set up. They've stacked the courts. We've allowed that to happen. They've stacked the courts. And not only Citizens United was a big test case, which, by the way, the court totally derailed by obfuscating and changing the subject and oral arguments. And Elena Kagan was the uh, Solicitor General who defended I was just reading this oral argument, and it started with, I think, Scalia. It all got down to, oh, so we got, so can we outlaw books? You know, can we ban books? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is fine, because that's what the right wing wants to do now is ban books. But it all hit, and actually the lawyers, I think it's Olson was the guy who was for Citizens United. Olson, was yeah. we don't, we, we're not even asking for that. He said, and, but the court said, oh, no, no. So what the court does is they blow, they plow the field, they blow the whole oral arguments wide open, and then they decide how narrowly they want to rule it in order to accomplish their agenda. The other two cases that were faction agendas were the gun cases in 2008, however, DDC, which they needed a precedent so that they could do uh, McDonald versus Chicago in 2010. And, 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 and strip states, strip states of their rights to regulate guns. Right. That's what they did. Yep. No, because absolutely. It's, it's not like yeah, we weren't warned, Paul. These people have been talking about doing this stuff since the 60s. <laughs> They've been talking about it before that, probably. Well, but since the 20s, yeah. yeah. This is exactly it. And this is why 
Tom, I know, and everybody has. Why I harp on this? See, we, they have, the, the factions have gathered enough mass and momentum at this point. We, we cannot enforce the federal protections like the kind that uh, uh, I know David Pepper, uh, the Laboratories of Autocracy author, I interviewed him in a book club that I hosted that he came to. And he reminded us about Article 4, Section 4, that the federal government, the government of the United States, shall guarantee a Republican form of government in every state. But we don't have a Congress that's willing to do that. Yep. And so we're almost bound to play the states' rights game with them because we don't have – they have gathered so much mass and momentum, far more than Nazi Germany had. Really, when Hitler came to power, he didn't have as much support as the right wing. Oh, had he only now. had about 35 percent support when he came to power. <laughs> and so – yeah, and we're, we certainly have that uh, for, for the autocratic form of government. I don't know if people really understand that. But, you know, I asked David Pepper this question. I said, when Louis Brandeis said laboratories of democracy, is this what he had in mind, these fascist right-wing states? And he said, because he's a law professor, he said, Justice Brandeis had to have imagined that this was possible. Yeah, he had to have imagined that it was possible. How likely? I don't know. But the point was, he said, is that states would... You know, experiment and test and see what works. And just like the mundane things like uh, regulating businesses, which is where the original case started, how, how business license should be regulated, that they'll see if it works and if it doesn't. Other sta- states will copy what works and what doesn't. So he's, his answer was, and if fascism and autocracy doesn't work in these states, uh, and that's why when you talk about, you know, I know somebody's going to get angry with me like they did last week, and when I say, hey, if states want to outlaw birth control, and that's what it comes down to, if we don't have the federal protections anymore to stop it, then there's going to be upheaval in those states. It's not going to happen in yeah. California, Oregon, and Washington. No, it's going to be and Missouri sorry, first. I know that sounds not sympathetic, but they're inviting the upheaval on themselves, and people need to stand up and let these legislatures, which have become, as I said to David Weber, these legislative chambers of horrors and not laboratories of of democracy, the legislative chambers of horror. Yeah, amen. And that's what we're that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing it writ large, hugely, in and and prominently in states like Texas and Florida that get all the headlines. Yeah. But it's happening in every red state in America right now. And of course, Marsha Blackburn is from Missouri, and that's you know they're 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 really cracking down on abortion there. And now they want to go after birth control. It's just incredible. They want to go after condoms for God's sake. Paul, thank you. Yeah. The Tom Hartman Program, your media support group for We the People. James in Sitka, Alaska. Hey, James, thanks for watching us on Free Speech. What's up? Oh, hey, Tom. How you doing? It's great to talk to you here. I've been listening to you for years. I remember the days of uh, brunch with Bernie, actually, with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great. But uh, our, uh, our Republican, only Republican representative in Alaska died the other day. Yeah, Don, Don Young. Young. Yeah. And... Uh, but I, I got this email here, and it said that he was worth like $55 million. <laughs> really? I know. Uh, yeah. I know, I know very little bit about Don Young. How did, uh, how did he make $55 million bucks? Well, I don't know. That's my question. But, I mean, you, I mean, you know, you're just talking about it. Citizens United, isn't it? You know? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, he it's, just kept running. It's entirely. I mean, he's a Republican. Yeah, he's a Republican, yeah. so a lot of these Republicans get very, very rich while they're in office, typically by trading stocks and things on inside information or by getting these massive speaking fees that, the, you know, right-wing billionaires and their front groups pay them to, you know, as a way of basically, you know, buying them. Um, sure. I, you know, it wouldn't just and be campaign he, contributions. Right, but, and he, he uh, yeah, 
Yeah. It's, I, you know, James, I'm sorry I don't have a, uh, an answer for you, but that, that's incredible. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it. James, thanks for the call. It's great to hear from you after all this time. Sylvania in uh, Venice, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, hey Sylvania. Sylvania, forgive me. What's up? Sylvia, no, it's a French name. Sylvia. Anyway, um, I just wanted, I was listening to you and talking about why we don't have free education and, and uh, socialized medicine and all of this in the U.S. And I think that's because in the U.S. we're paying for the so-called domination of the U.S. over the world thanks to the arms industry. So the arms industry is getting a lot of money from our budget, and it's the people in the U.S. are, are penalized for that. And right now, with the Ukraine and the fact that a lot of countries have atomic, their atomic bonds, we realize that the arms industry is going to become obsolete. And right now, they are really, you know, selling as much as possible of their arms. And we're sitting on this huge amount of obsolete armament, but we're still funding all this, you know, this industry for nothing and are penalized with having no education and no health. Yeah. You know, I've never so, seen... And, and I think we are at the peak of, you know, at the end of uh, U.S. dominance. And obviously China, with a, a billion and a half people, will dominate the world. And we should let them dominate. Who cares? We should just not be in competition with, you know, with anybody. Let people, let the different countries have their style of living. And let's not spend huge amounts of money to destroy you know, social revolutions and everything, and always side with stupid religious right. Yeah, and right wingers. So, you know, I, I would agree yeah. with you if those uh, autocratic governments didn't start attacking other countries. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I've never seen a, a comparison. Yeah, but of, you, you know that the uh, No, US I, do, I do agree with you about the obscenity of our defense spending. What I'm I saying mean, is. I totally disagree know, with Putin, but you, you, you know that the U.S. has been provoking Russia forever and ever. Yeah, but that's not what's ever going on ever. here. What's going on here is a land grab by Putin. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. So uh, we'll, be, we'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, 
now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Matthew in Woodstock. Hey, Matthew, what's up? Woodstock, New York. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you for sharing this platform so generously that you've worked so hard to establish. I really appreciate it. I wanted to call in response to your question about, you know, quote unquote, saving American democracy. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to make a couple points. One, that it's hard to save something that you culturally appropriated from the people that you stole the land from to, you know, establish. You can't have a country without a land base. And all of our land claims are based on treaties for the most part that no one really argues we're all broken so if you broke every legitimate land claim that you have then you don't really have a legitimate government nonetheless a legitimate democracy to start so are you suggesting that all non-native people should just leave north america go back to europe and africa of course not tom of course not then then what's your what's Um, your what what are you suggesting we should do matthew at the very least acknowledge that you know, yeah, have I, a real I, acknowledgement in a <laughs> statement of reconciliation by honoring the treaties themselves. We declared in our constitution that treaties are the highest law of the land. It's the reason why. No, I, I, you know, I, I get it, and I agree with you. I, I, you know, honoring all those treaties, of course, would mean giving back probably half of America to Native Americans, which is a process Absolutely. that I think probably deserves discussion. But I can just tell you, it's not going to happen, Matthew. I, you know, I, I appreciate your concern. I wrote an entire book about your concern. I'm with you on that. It's a terrible history, but we're here now, and we've got to deal with right now. Eve in Palmdale, California. Hey, Eve. Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Hi, What's Tom. Up? Hi, Tom. I just have a very simple solution to this democracy problem. Mm-hmm. The Democrats need to stop wringing their hands and just go to the polls every election, school board to president, yep. and just get in there. Because yep. if we don't just get in there and let our voices be heard, we're going to be trampled over and we'll be in a fascist country. I agree. And once we get enough power, as it were, enough representation in Washington, D.C., uh, we need to reverse the, the Citizens United decision and the, at least the 20th century decisions that preceded it, Buckley and Bilotti, because these are the decisions that set us up for a Soviet-style, Russian-style oligarchy, and that's the direction that we're heading. And uh, it's, it's, it ain't a good thing. <laughs> it definitely ain't a good thing. Thanks a lot for the call, Eve. Tim in Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up? Yeah, you know, it's all this... Uh... <laughs> nonsense is going on. There's, I call it the two Ps, what's going to happen to, hope, to unfortunately maybe put the Republicans back into control in the House and the Senate. Putin and petroleum, those are the two key issues that are, yeah. that are dominating the world right now. It's scary, you know, because a lot of people just can't put anything in historical context anymore. You know, I've been in the same neighborhood 32 years. I have a couple degrees in history. And just talking to people on the street is scary. They don't care. You yeah. know, they're concerned with their everyday finances, yeah. whether they can keep their heads financially above water. And then you've got some guy like Tucker Carlson talk about abuse of the First Amendment. All that man does every day is scream fire in a crowded theater. It's getting really bad. Oh, and not just get, Tucker. I mean, that's the entire network. Oh, yeah. that, that's how, that's right, how Rupert got, Murdoch became a billionaire. He did it first in Australia, right. then the U.K., and now the U.S. Yeah, but he, he's the new Bill O'Reilly, you know, and you've got Greta Van Susteren and Sean yeah. Hannity and the whole group of them, you know. But they're the number one. And look what look at the, the recent thing about the uh, Coke industries. They don't want any have want to pull out of uh, right. Uh, Nestle Russia. too. Nestle has also said they're not pulling out right. of Russia. 
Yeah, and those are the things you have to look at, because ultimately that's the thing that can, can delay any sanity in what's going on in this world. And the closer we get to the elections, the Republicans know this kind of stuff is going to shore up their base. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Tim, thank you for the call. Ari in Eureka, California. Hey, Ari, what's up? Hey, Tom. I think that this might be a solution for us. Because our government isn't representational anymore, they're management paid by the oligarchy, and they're responsible to them, not us. We need a union, and we need a union with a strike fund so that the American people can afford to go on strike. And in the meantime, women need to go on strike until we get our bodily rights back. That means nobody gets any until we get our rights. Like the, uh, what was it, that that happened in ancient Greece? Yes, exactly. It works. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm all in favor of both. I would like to see these incorporated into an existing structure like a takeover of the Democratic Party just because it's there and it would be easier. But the challenge is, is, you know, the the previous caller, you know, is, you know, as he pointed out, that, you know, average Americans are just trying to get on about their lives. They're trying to figure out how they're going to pay their rent. They're they're dealing with, you know, medical bills. That's why we need a strike fund. Like all unions have a strike fund so Mm -hmm. that if they have to go on strike, their members can afford to stay home and go on strike because the strike fund will pay them. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Thanks for the call. (laughs) Some great ideas here. Some great ideas. I put front and center ending Citizens United. The Supreme Court is what has turned America in, you know, from a more or less a democracy into an oligarchy. The Supreme Court has been the driving force of this, but, you know, it's because they have been stacked by oligarchs. The first session of the International Criminal Court at The Hague started today. The court is uh, beginning an investigation into Russia's war against Ukraine. More than 30 nations are in the process of ratifying their membership in the ICC. There are 123 members right now. The United States is not one of them, by the way. Uh, They began operating in 2002. It's based on a uh, treaty called the Rome Statute that was uh, ratified in 1998. This should not be confused with the International Court of Justice, which also sits at The Hague. And the International Court of Justice has explicitly called on Putin to stop the genocide, the destruction, the massive, you know, his invasion of Ukraine. But the International Court of Justice looks at legal issues between nations. The the International Criminal Court prosecutes war criminals. Um, And they have been looking into uh, Russia and Ukraine since 2014 um, with regard to the situation in Crimea and the Donbass. And now they've expanded that to include this. Um, They prosecute crimes against humanity, war crimes, and crimes of aggression. Um, For example, the International Criminal Court conducted trials against the gen- about the genocide of the Tutsis um, in Rwanda by the, tu- by the uh, Hutus, uh, the, gen- the genocide in Srebrenica in Yugoslavia back in 1995, and the use of chemical weapons in Darfur in uh, South Sudan, what's next door to what's now South Sudan, in 2002. There are uh, basically six stages to a prosecution. Stage one, is they announce the prosecution and begin their investigation. That happened on February 28th, when Chief Prosecutor Kareem Ahmad Khan announced that the ICC was launching this investigation. They've received appeals from 39 countries that they investigate Russia and Putin for war crimes. Um, That includes the EU member states, Australia, Canada, the United Kingdom, the English-speaking countries 
the United States couldn't because we're not a signatory to this. And I think we're not a signatory to this because if we were, uh, we probably would have seen George W. Bush and Dick Cheney being tried for war crimes. In uh, March of 2016, Karim Khan arrived in Ukraine and began his work. Uh, they are in the country right now collecting evidence. On March 17th, they sent an official request to meet with Russia, which Russia is ignoring. The sec that's stage one. Second stage is the suspects are identified and arrest warrant is issued. The third stage is uh, pre-trial where the charges, they have the hearings and the judges decide usually within 60 days if there's enough evidence. The fourth stage uh, is the actual trial and the judges issue a verdict. Fifth stage, there's a right to appeal and the sixth stage after the appeal has been exhausted, there's a sentence. And uh, they, can in, they can impose uh, prison sentences of up to 30 years or even life imprisonment. They can impose a fine or confiscate the income, property, or assets that have been obtained by these war crimes. Um, and anybody who has been convicted by the International Criminal Court will not be able to visit any of the 123 countries who signed the Rome Statute. Again, that doesn't include the United States or Russia. In addition, these criminals will be automatically included in the ICC's wanted list. And so they can go after heads of state, they can go after members of government, they can go after elected representatives, they can go after pretty much anybody, the International Criminal Court. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it, since we're not part of the International Criminal Court, and neither is the United Kingdom and neither is Russia, excuse me, the United Kingdom is, but nonetheless, another way to do this would be the one that uh, Gordon Brown and Sir John Major in the United Kingdom are suggesting both of them former prime ministers of the United Kingdom, along with 140 academics, lawyers, and politicians, they've signed a petition calling for a brand new legal system. They want to model it after the Nuremberg trials where the Nazis were tried. So a standalone you know, legal entity uh, because the International Criminal Court you know, I went through the six stages for the International Criminal Court and they're gathering evidence and all that, but they cannot begin the trial without the permission of the United Nations Security Council. The International Criminal Court is a child of the UN and Russia is a permanent member of the Security Council and so they'll just veto it. So what Gordon Brown and John Major are saying is we need a tri uh, Nuremberg tri Tribunal. Uh, maybe even hold it in Nuremberg, who knows? But, and they're saying that this can be done in addition to what the ICC is doing, because the ICC is gathering information. Writing in the Daily Mail, uh, former Prime Minister Brown said uh, that creating the new tribunal would close off that loophole of the, you know, the ability of Russia to, to veto the ICC prosecution so that, quote, Putin can, uh, the, uh, the loophole that, quote, Putin could use to dodge do justice. Uh, he went on to say, we must move with speed to assure the people of Ukraine that we are committed to action and not just warm words. And we must make Putin's collaborators aware that the noose is tightening. If they do not distance themselves from Putin, they face prosecution and prison, wrote Mr. Brown. The Nuremberg trials, by the way, were the first ever international war crime trials. And Brown continues, he says, as Nuremberg, we held the Nazi war criminals to account. Eight decades on, we must assure, ensure that there will be a day of reckoning for Putin and his uh, colleagues. Amen. The second story I wanted to share with you is what the Republicans are up to. Senator Marsha Blackburn released a video statement over the last weekend 
in which she talked about, and I'm, I'm quoting from her, she said, constitutionally unsound rulings like Griswold v. Connecticut confuse Tennesseans and leave Congress wondering who gave the court permission to bypass our system of checks and balances. Now, what's she talking about here in Griswold v. Connecticut? I, you know, I, I, there's actually a whole chapter devoted to this in my new book, The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, because this, it was the first case in the history of the United States where a right to privacy was identified in the Constitution explicitly by that name. 1965. There were laws on the books that went back to the 1800s, and one in Connecticut specifically that went back to the 1880s or 1890s, that said it was illegal for anybody, including a married couple, to have any form of birth control in their home, to be in possession of birth control. Birth control was as illegal as drugs, right? You couldn't have birth control in Connecticut and in you know, multiple other states as well. And the people who were prosecuted for this were mostly single women, but occasionally even married couples. This was a married couple that brought the Griswold case if my memory serves me right. And in that case, in a 7-2 ruling in 1965, the U.S. Supreme Court said, no, we are looking at the first, third, fourth, fifth, and ninth amendments, and we find a right to privacy. And that right to privacy includes your own bedroom. The government can't kick in the door and see if you've got birth control. Now, they were talking about condoms and diaphragms back then. Well, they were also talking about the early birth control pill, which was legalized in 61. This was 65. They didn't legalize birth control for single people, by the way, in this decision in 1965. That came in a Supreme Court decision in 1972. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So right up until 1972, in some states, including Connecticut, it was a crime for a single person to, to possess any form of birth control, including a condom. So now Marsha Blackburn comes out and says she's going to oppose the nomination of Katanji Jackson, Brown Jackson because Katanji Brown, Judge Jackson refuses to say that Griswold was wrongly decided. In fact, Judge Jackson thinks that Griswold was correctly decided, that people should have the right to have birth control in their own home. Here you have one of the most influential Republicans in the United States Senate, a member, uh, a secondary member of Republican leadership. She is on the Judiciary Committee that will be interrogating, or is probably right now as we're speaking, interrogating Judge Jackson saying that Tennesseans are confused and Congress is wondering who gave the court permission to bypass our system of checks and balances. In other words, 
The law against birth control was passed by Connecticut. Who the hell does the Supreme Court think they are overturning that law? That's the essence of Marsha Blackburn's statement. Now, where this gets really interesting, and by the way, this 1965 Griswold decision, being the first time the right to privacy was found in our Constitution, and the reason why, of course, is the word privacy doesn't exist in the Constitution, because in the 1770s, it referred to using the toilet, uh, which is why they're called privies. But nonetheless, this decision, or this argument that Blackburn is making, that Griswold should be reversed, would end the right, the legal right, to own birth control in the United States. Now, last summer, the Republican Study Committee issued a report titled, uh, or memo titled, Lean into the Culture War. And they said in this document, the Republican Study Committee, they, they, they said, we are in a culture war and we are winning. Marsha Blackburn's statement that we should criminalize birth control in the United States is part of that Republican culture war. So my question to you is, how far can they go before we start saying, before, before Republicans, before moderate voters, what would you call it, independent voters, in the middle voters, before they start saying, wait a minute, I mean, making it harder to vote, you know, you've got, you know, uh, down in Texas, as many as 30, 40% of voter applications are being turned down. In Florida, people are being stripped from the voting rolls. In Ohio, they even took it to the Supreme Court. May we please purge all these black people from the rolls in, in Akron and Cleveland? Oh, the Supreme Court says, yes, you may. In a totally partisan, 100% Republican appointee decision. And... America hasn't freaked out. I mean, I, I think African-Americans across the country are going, whoa. But by and large, white people in America are like, that's eh, okay with us. So is this going to be the thing? I mean, they're going after trans kids. They're going after gay people. They're going after lesbians. I mean, at what, what is it going to take for Americans to say, Republicans, you've gone too friggin' far. We now know, you know, the jig is up. We now know what the game is. The game is to put us into subjection, is to basically overwhelm America with right-wing ideology, to ban our books, to shut down our schools. Enough already. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Will this be it? Somehow I doubt it, but, you know, because it's not getting any publicity, but, you know, maybe it's a start. What say you? Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Russia Trap, How Our Shadow War with Russia Could Spiral into Nuclear Catastrophe by George S. Beebe. This is from the introduction. This book is a pre-mortem, an examination of a failure that has not yet happened. It focuses on one of the most difficult problems that statesmen face, how to anticipate and avoid a war that no one wants and few believe is likely or even possible, but nonetheless arises because of a combustive mixture of clashing ambitions, new technologies, misplaced fears, entangled alliances and commitments, domestic political pressures, and mistaken assumptions about how adversaries might react. In other words, it's about diagnosing and diffusing a nascent World War I problem with Russia. What was then called the Great War produced what was arguably the greatest man-made catastrophe in human history. It ended a century of relatively peaceful balance of power among Europe's leading states, it destroyed the Ottoman Empire and laid the basis for a century of war and terrorism in the Middle East. It hastened the demise of the British Empire and led to Hitler's rise, the destruction of World War II, 
the tragedy of the Holocaust, and the development of nuclear weapons. It paved the way to Soviet communism and decades of Cold War that spanned the globe. It decimated a generation of Europeans and left in its wake a nihilistic philosophical legacy that has devastating consequences for societies across the Western world. And almost no one saw World War I coming. World War I resulted more from miscalculation and ineptitude than from design. Historians have long debated which of the combatants bore the most responsibility for the conflict, but few dispute that each of the major powers contributed its quota of short-sightedness and irresponsibility to the disaster. Germany feared encirclement by France, Russia, and Britain, but ham-handedly threatened each in ways that encouraged them to unite in an unprecedented alliance against Berlin. That alliance, in turn, cemented Germany's dependence on Austria-Hungary and ultimately made it a hostage to its southern neighbor's actions. Britain believed the alliance would contain Germany's growing military and economic might, not lock London into a set of rigid commitments that made diplomatic resolution of a localized conflict all but impossible. Austria-Hungary's fear that nationalism could tear its empire apart from within blinded it to the dangers that a limited war on the Balkans could quickly spin into a catastrophic European conflagration. Tsar Nicholas II assumed that a limited mobilization against Austria-Hungary would deter aggression against Russia's friend Serbia, only to learn that his general staff's war plans mandated a full mobilization against Austria-Hungary and Germany. The spread of railway technology in turn meant that any state that did not mobilize its army quickly in response faced the near certain prospect of a rapid military defeat. The result was a potent mix of volatile ingredients that fueled what Henry Kissinger called a political doomsday machine susceptible to any number of political triggers. Few people in Washington today believe that our tense relations with Russia pose this type of challenge. Rather, the dominant paradigm for understanding and responding to the Russian threat is, quote, the World War II problem. American editorials and op-eds about Russia abound with disparaging references to Munich, where British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain made his tragic bid to appease Hitler's territorial ambitions in 1938 and achieved his ill-fated peace in our time. During the 2016 U.S. presidential campaign, Democratic Party candidate Hillary Clinton explicitly warned that Moscow's claims that it must protect Russian minorities in the Ukraine echoed Nazi Germany's arguments that it had to protect German minorities in Poland and Czechoslovakia. Similarly, Senator Lindsey Graham and many other Republicans have likened Russian President Putin to Adolf Hitler, while newspaper columnists referred to him as Putler. Like Hitler, Putin is perceived as an authoritarian leader harboring deep resentments over lost territory and unfair treatment. Like Hitler, Putin is believed to regard calls for diplomatic compromise as signs of weakness that he can exploit. And like Hitler, Putin is thought to harbor expansionist designs that will be curbed only by pushing back now before he grows too strong. For those who see the Russian threat through this prism, the chief danger is the Kremlin's aggressive intentions, and the imperative is to deter aggression through strength. Wars often happen because those who start them think they can win. Disabusing an aggressor of that belief, therefore, is critical to preserving the peace. For intelligence analysts, this translates into a focus on studying Russian war plans and weapon systems while looking for signs of impending attack. U.S. and NATO military experts analyzing Russia's preparations for its large West military exercise in 2017, for example, issued warnings that the event could be a Russian Trojan horse, masking preparations for occupying Belarus or invading one of the Baltic states. 
British intelligence officials caution that Russian cyber operators have acquired the ability to shut down power plants, hijack air traffic control, and even turn off air conditioning systems. U.S. intelligence community leaders sound alarms about Moscow's desire to undermine Western democracy and destroy the post-World War II international order. Hollywood actor Morgan Freeman, sponsored by a committee that includes former director of national intelligence James Clapper, solemnly warns America in a viral social media video that we are at war already with Russia and must fight back or suffer defeat. Not everyone views Russia as offensive-minded, however. A smaller and less popular school of thought sees Russia under Putin as a weak and declining power. The book, The Russia Trap. Anna in uh, Tustin, California, you've got a list of companies to boycott? Yes. Hello, Tom. I did some research, and a gentleman named Alex Algard, who is a CEO for a software company based out of Seattle, created a website and a master list for uh, tracking companies that are either in support of Ukraine by pulling out of Russia or who remain in Russia. So this is a useful list, and it's on the website, all one word, coalitionforukraine.com. I just went there because I, 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 you know, I saw that you were going to be talking about it, and holy cow, what a list. 570 yeah, companies they've got. It's comprehensive, and I industry. wanted to make... Exactly. And I wanted to make a note that, you know, not just boycotting, but also to write a postcard or an email finding contact. If there's a business that you frequent that you might have boycotted, but then, you know, like Starbucks or something, mm -hmm. because when Starbucks um, was union busting, I went into my local Starbucks and I said, you won't be seeing me for a while and et cetera. So um, not just uh, sticks, but carrots. Call the companies that did the right thing, like, say, Coca-Cola or McDonald's that originally yeah. said they would stay and then they left. Call them in or write them a note and say, thank you for pulling out. I'll continue to support you. So carrots and sticks. There you so go. That's, that's one idea that I had. And also to a note about Nestle, they're a pretty evil company. And um, they use child labor for chocolate harvesting and processing. And they've been promoting and, baby um, formula forever. Yes, they're, Nestle's pretty awful, so I try to avoid them as much as I can. And um, I, I think I've eliminated them from my um, household spending by 90% everything. Also, too, if I can just as, as a little small plug, because it's a tiny little company, but they do great things, and I, I don't benefit from this in any way. I'm not a, they're not sponsoring me or any way, but uh, there's a chocolate company called Tony Chocoloni out of Holland, and 100% slave-free Fair trade, you know, mm. um, uh, sustainably harvested, great chocolate, Tony Chocoloni. Okay. Check it out. If you're missing the Nestle chocolate, it's better tasting, too. Okay. So, Will anyway, do. Anna, carrots, thanks. carrots and sticks for companies and um, slave-free chocolate. And okay, thanks, thank for the, you, Tom. thanks for the tip on coalitionforukraine.com. It's amazing. I, I'm, I'm hanging out here with some of the smartest people in the world. It is so much fun. It's such an honor to be with you today and every day. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It, it requires hard work from all of us and support from all of us. And there's lots of things that we can do. So get out there, get active, tag, you're in. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and people around you. Stay safe. Pray for peace in the world. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.